0: you guys want to sit out now? Or, yeah. Um, I don't think we planned that part out. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Thank you, guys. Um, we, we did the first three verses of Psalm 4 last week. And so we're getting what is essentially the second idea half of Psalm 4. And this is God's word to us this afternoon. Starting with verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to you, God. All right. I love C.S. Lewis. You guys know that. I always talk about C.S. Lewis. But he has this, he has this idea when he's talking about friends. And uh, I, I realize that I have a lot of dead friends, which is really weird, um, but he has this idea when talking about friendship is you think that you're experiencing something um, that is unique, or you feel alone in your experience of it, and you will either talk to a live person, or you will read a dead person. And suddenly, there's this thought that f- floats your mind. What? This is C.S. Lewis. I'm quoting him. "What? You too? I thought I was the only one. And it, he writes that that is um, the beginning of, some, of a real friendship that actually kills what he calls immense solitude. Just the fact that someone else has had the same experience or similar experience. Um, that's why writers and dead people can become friendly to me because there are moments where I feel like no one around me is thinking or saying those things, but then they do. And especially with the Psalms, when I get in there, I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't hear anybody around me saying this. And suddenly, I'm, whoa, there's a connection with David that I've never had before. And that's, that's so much true with, um, with Psalm 4. So last week, we realized this is, and it's kind of a great setup. He goes, look, you can come to God because he makes you fit. He's your righteousness, okay? That's why you can come to him. And then the other part in verse 3, the other part we know that we can go to God is, is, is he's reassuring us. He says, you're the favorite it's the holy, you're set apart. You're, you're God's favorite. You're fit, made fit by Him, and you're His favorite. So you can go to Him because we're going to talk about some real problems. And there are six steps. David talks about you having a problem, a trial, a trouble, a situation, right? And there are six steps that he has. And what's interesting about these, yes, this is going to be a sermon with six points, but, but I, I, I promise you, I promise you, you can time the points, and you'll be like, all right, he's moving, he's moving. I think you should start to despair if you're like, whoa, whoa, it's been 20 minutes and he's on point three. Despair then. But like, look, look, like, I'm going to get through this. Okay, and what's really interesting about these, it's kind of a steps and cycle of you going through a difficulty. What's really interesting is... Um, they're sort of like a description of so you can be like, oh yeah, you get me. But what's really interesting is in these contrasts, it's sort of a diagnostic. You're like, oh, if you're feeling this, then you then there's a problem. Or if you are here, then that's better than if you were. So what's funny is in all of these steps in Psalm 4, it's going to be a description, it's going to be a diagnostic, but what's really cool is in each of these verses, there's actually a prescription for benefit and hope as well. So all of these things are used as to describe, to um, uh, diagnose, and to prescribe as well. Okay, so this is the first movement that in the step is that David says that you have got problems because he's got a problem too. Now, this is one is really quick and easy and totally relatable for everybody, because what he says is you probably have something to be mad about and angry about, right? Someone hurt you. Something went wrong in your life. That's a problem. It's the most easily relatable. Um, now, this may sound obvious. But David wants you to know that trial and trouble and problems are more normal than not. Now, Melissa and I have um, lived in um, varying levels of socioeconomic wealth and poverty. And and one thing I've noticed is um, when you are around the poor on a daily or weekly basis, is trouble and trial is not a surprise. They are not overcome by more trouble. They literally say, oh, this is a different type of trouble today. The wealthier you get, trouble comes as a shock. It comes as a surprise. Mm -hmm. What? This should not be happening to me. And what I love about the biblical reality of trouble and trial is that it says, actually, it's very normal because of a thing we call the fall and sin. And trouble will always be there. And so it normalizes the existence before Christ comes back again, the presence of trouble. So, here he goes. Problems will hurt you. You will not like them. You will be very mad that you have trial and trouble in your life. And so, so, what now? Point two. David says this, he sends you to bed, he sends you to bed, he sends himself and us to a place where we should be getting rest, but we won't get rest there, he sends you to a place that is a normal place of retreat, rest, recharge, isolation, withdrawal from the regular world, And he thinks something. He thinks it's better to be there in restlessness than to lash out at somebody. Verse 4. Check it out. Check it out. This is good. That's why he says, okay, you've got problems. You're mad. Be angry and don't sin. And he says this, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be quiet. This is what he's saying. It's better to be on your bed of nails in restlessness than to sin and get angry at somebody else. It's better to sit in restlessness and not sleep and be half miserable than to fire off angry emails and confront with fire because that's the sinning part. It's better to have restlessness than to sin, David says. Now, Use this as a diagnostic. What is a common response for you and me? No, 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 no. Uh-uh. I'm not going to just have this pain all to myself. I am going to share the pain with someone else. That's our common response. We're going to let them have it. We're going to prove our case. We're going to lash out. We're going to assault. We're gonna, whatever whatever it's gonna, we're going to do is what we're not going to do is be restless all by ourselves. And yet David says, that's what you do. You go to bed restless. Okay, point three. Then he says this. He thinks this. It's better to do very normal, ordinary things, not abnormal or extraordinary things. Tim, where do you get that? Verse five. He says this. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What does he mean by that? This is what he means by that. We think that our problems and our trial and our troubles will require some overtime and control and exertion and insertion and making sure it goes away and people do what they need to do. Right? And what will we do? We will go to extraordinary lengths and gear up for that fight. But David offers, look, this is beautiful, David offers a prescription and a diagnostic all at the same time. What is right sacrifices? Just do the things that God has called you to already do. Do. just offer up the things that he's already said to offer back to him. No strange fire. What's that a callback to? Strange fire is a callback to when God laid out how Aaron was supposed to do the sacrifices, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, thought this extra special God might like some extra special cool fire that we've designed and they offer up something strange and was God pleased no and so this is what offer right sacrifices is it's like. Just do what God has already called you to do in your routine, according to the gifts and resources that you have in your schedule. Don't do something extraordinary to make a pa- make what make life and goodness come about. Um, I have seen this in my own heart. I'm not even talking about you. When I make abnormal moves beyond my calling and my resources and my abilities and my personality that God gave me, I'm trying to manipulate and control a situation. And I want you, and David wants you, to put your weight on, put the weight of solving onto God. It's up to, it is your problem. You do it. You do it. Offer upright sacrifices do the ordinary, and trust him to fix it. So here's a small diagnostic for you. It's a question. Am I doing things that I don't normally do? That should be a red flag for you. That should be a red flag for you. Step four. David highlights something that is predictable, predictable religiosity, and I mean religiosity in its worst possible way. He says, he points this out. He points out a fake, silly, predominant religious sentiment that he's come across. He's like a theologian. Verse 6, what is it? There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord." Now, you're like, whoa, that sounded actually kind of decent theology. I don't know what's wrong there. It's all kinds of wrong. It is the immature or the spiritually clueless that say this. Why? Because they equate God's light and God's pleasure with what? They equate it with positive things that I think should happen, happen. God is loving us and is lighted on us when positive things that i like are happening. And David says it's nonsense. But he says, "Yep, that's how many people will view it." Yep. Yep. They put parameters on the goodness of God. He must act this way before i call him good. Is this you or me? Think just ask yourself. Because David then points out in the, next, in the next little section, he points out something to contrast that. God must love me if all my positive things happen to me that I think that I want. That's how his light is shining. But David has experienced something sweeter and deeper and better, and it's here. This is step five. When sadness is better than money and a buzz, Check this out. This is in verse seven. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Pay attention here. We have to hear this because we are grain abounding, wine abounding people. That's why we gotta hear it. I would be a horrible pastor if I didn't lay this on you. The people who are flush with cash and good times, those are the many people that David is talking about That their metrics for God's pleasure over their life are only their accounts and their senses. What? But David's son, Solomon, also agrees with him. What does he say in Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. I have been in some incredibly holy, beautiful places that were just covered in pain that you could not imagine. Suicides, teen death by seizure in front of me, Automobile crash, dead, teenager, no more. I've been in the hospital room when just the skin is all black with sepsis and they're like, yeah, it's, it's, we're gonna pull the plug. And when you sing and when you pray and you are with your heavenly father and Jesus in those moments, I'm, I'm telling you, it is better than some things that this world calls awesome. And I got this, I got this from John Brown. In his little short story called Rabin Friends, and it, he says this, he says, he's, and the scene is this, the scene is this man who is singing psalms to and with his wife that will soon be dead. And he says, it was very sad, let's own it, it was very sad. But it was better. It was better than many things that are called not sad. This is what David is telling us. This is what David is telling us. Flush with cash in good times. But how do you know, Pastor Tim, how how do you know, how do you know, When you're in a place and things are tough, how do you know when something's working and and you have the pleasure of God on you? How do you know? I'm going to give you one. There are dozens here, but for sake of time, I'm going to only give you one. You will know it when you are in the trouble and the trial, and his word is sweet to eat. Because in times of trouble and trial, sometimes his word is the only thing that you have for the day and the next day. And when it's sweet to your soul, you'll say, oh, 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 the pleasure of God is on me. Step six, in this cycle of trial and trouble, something happens at the end of this cycle and it's a benefit at the end of this cycle. It's something beautiful. It can be a diagnostic for you, and it can be a benefit in hope. And this is what I mean by that. Um, um, and, and I want to preface this by saying this. If, if, if you do not identify yourself being able to do step six, I'm, I'm, I'm preamble here. Don't freak out in guilt. No. This is part of the process that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, and it's part of the story bringing you to wholeness. So just look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's where I am, and he's going to bring me to a different place. Step six, verse eight. A bed will become a bed again to you. Remember, he sent you to bed, and he goes, yeah, you just get restless there. (laughs) On your bed of nails. In step six, a bed becomes a bed again. He says this, in peace, I will both do two things. I'll lie down, and I'll sleep. For you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. David is describing something. When God becomes your only sustenance in, 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 in the middle of while the trouble is happening, problem not solved yet, trouble, the bed will become a bed again when he is all of your sustenance. So treat it like a diagnostic too. Are you restless and you can't sleep? Oh, then, then there's other stuff God's doing before we, the bed becomes a bed again. There's other stuff God is doing. But don't pretend. Don't pretend. But when he comes, to your sustenance, and you're not lying there just churning out new to dos and to don'ts, and you sleep. Oh, what a sweet benefit. What a sweet benefit. You'll sleep. Now, there's this lingering thing in your trial and in your trouble, and it could be with your boss or your coworker or your friend or your, your spouse, whatever, whoever it is. and you're the one restless and in pain and trial and trouble, and you think to yourself, I want this pain to go to somebody else. That's why we lash out, right? I want, this, I want, I want someone else to get this. And your pastor's going to tell you something, yeah, it was, it was put on Christ. And you will think, and sometimes I will think as well, yeah, yeah, not him. <laughs> I want it to be steered to another trouble causing person. I don't actually want it to go on him. I know, I know, I know. That's the scandal of it. He wore it, and he wore it for your peace, but check this out. He also wore it for someone else's peace, too. And so it's not up to you to bring it about, he'll make it happen because he already has. You can sleep. And you're completely safe from all trouble. Our Father and our God, you you being enough is that you are enough for my trial and my trouble without me or my friends trying to fix it. So in your kindness, would you bring us through these steps time and time again to where we do end. We end up sleeping in safety with you. In Jesus' name, amen.